Before our hearts saying this evening, I want to take you to Luke chapter 12, um, to a, a really, really fascinating passage in my opinion. Um, tonight we're going to look at a few compelling reasons that Jesus gives to his disciples over in, in Luke 12 as to why they should avoid the influence of false and hypocritical religion. I've actually titled the message for tonight that very thing, some compelling reasons, we're actually going to look at two of them, to avoid hypocritical religion. So if you would turn to Luke 12, I can hear you turning there now. And I want us to read the first five verses of chapter 12. Actually, this discourse really extends uh, all the way really to chapter 13, uh, verse 9. It's one long sermon that our Lord gives in front of this massive, massive crowd. And uh, yeah, the compelling reasons for avoiding hypocritical religion goes to verse 12, but we only have time to look at the first five verses. So I want us to read those, those first verses. Starting in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered, gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Father, as we examine this text tonight, I, I pray, uh, Lord, for myself and for everyone sitting out here that we would be challenged by your words, Lord, and that with these two reasons you give as to why we should not forsake our allegiance to you, Father, would resonate with our hearts, Lord. Father, in the midst of this world that we live in, in the midst of the American culture and society, which for the most part is, is really gone against you, Lord, Father, would we not forsake our allegiance to you? We remember that uh, you are the only way to heaven, Christ and Christ alone, and no other way uh, can get to God, Lord. And uh, Father, with these reasons why we should stick with you tonight here in Luke chapter 12, again, would they just speak to us, Lord. Thank you for bringing everyone here, Lord. And again, I just pray for 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 this message to be clear, Lord, and I pray for it to hit our hearts and that we would apply it even as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Allow me to sort of set the context for these verses, these first five verses in Luke chapter 12. I, I think things are going to make a lot more sense once I do that. We have a very crowded scene here in Luke 12. Um, this scene that Luke describes here is, uh, is really, really fascinating. There are literally thousands of people gathered together here in Luke chapter 12 to hear and see Jesus. Actually, if you would look at verse 1 with me again, when Luke says, when so many thousands of people had gathered, uh, that word for so many thousands in, uh, there in verse 1 is the Greek word myrias. Myrias, from where we get our, our English word myriad. And a lot of you 
you guys know what that word means. Luke is saying here, this opening verse, uh, that there were myriads of people present on this occasion here in Luke chapter 12. There were so many people on the scene that he declared them to be innumerable, innumerable. This is an overwhelming number of people here on this occasion. It's a very chaotic scene, if you will. And so chaotic that Luke tells us that people, there in verse 1 again, they were trampling on one another. Literally, people are being trampled underfoot. They were stepping on one another. Stepping on one another. This is sort of, maybe a lot of things are coming in your head as I describe this. Sort of like a Black Friday event. <laughs> right? Tons. Tons of people rushing into the stores. Right? To, to gather their desired gifts. Scratching. Clawing. Kicking. Pushing. All of the above. Right? getting everyone out of their way. This is what we have here in Luke 12. This is sort of like a, a massive rock concert. I've never been to one, but I've heard of them. <laughs> like, a, like a mosh pit, if you will. Sort of mosh pit here in Luke 12. So chaotic that Luke says, if you're looking at it there in verse 1, people are trampling over one another. They're trampling over one another. And this is all to get to Jesus. This is all to be in the presence of our Lord. His fame had well been established over all of the Palestinian region. And when anyone can get the chance to see this guy, they would make a beeline there. They would beeline it to wherever he was. And if you've ever read the Gospels, you know this, right? This was the normal life of Jesus, right? People coming to see him. And in the midst, some people getting trampled. Thousands and thousands of people gathered to witness him. Thousands. Wherever Jesus was, so too was a large crowd or a large gathering. And that is what we have here in Luke 12 in our passage. What we also have here, though, is a very hostile crowd. It's busy, but it's hostile as well. This gathering around Jesus is astounding in terms of numbers, uh, but don't let that be confused with his acceptance. Jesus' popularity and fame is not equivalent, and this is crucial to understand as you're reading through the Gospels. Jesus' popularity and fame is not equivalent to his approval rating. It's not equivalent to his approval rating. At this point in time in his ministry, there had been extreme opposition to his ministry, primarily from the religious leaders. You guys know this. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees had made it clear by this point that they had set themselves against Jesus. They didn't like this guy. They, they made it clear, and they had a lot of followers, by this point in his ministry, that they hated this guy. They hated this guy. And the reason for that was because his ministry went completely against the grain of their religious system, right? Again, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's the Sermon on the Heart, yes, but it's a sermon also to do away with the false religious system of Israel's religious leaders in the first century. Jesus' ministry was marked by a heart change. Their religious system was all about external conformity. Jesus' ministry was marked by humility. Their religious system was marked by self-exaltation. They wanted the glory. Jesus' ministry was marked by, by care and gentleness. He was a shepherd, right? John chapter 10. Their ministry was marked by lording it over people, threatening people, 
Jesus' ministry was found in the authority of God and God alone. Their authority came from themselves. Jesus' ministry was marked by sacrificial service. Their religious system, again, it was marked by extortion and ruling over people. Everything Jesus said and did was in complete contrast to their religious system. And to top it all, all off, Jesus exposed them for who they truly were, did, did he not? He not only looked different from them, preached a different message, but he called them out. He exposed them for who they truly were. He exposed them. He exposed them of their defiance of God. He exposed them of their, their corruption. He exposed them of their, of their extortion. He exposed them of their pride. He exposed them of all of their lies and so on and so forth. And actually right before this occasion here in Luke 12, he exposes them. Look at verse 37 of chapter 11. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner again. All about the outside, the Pharisees. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Verse 40, you fools, you fools. Did not he who make the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and and, and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues and, and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are all like unmarked graves. This is a Really, this is a picture. You're like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. And then I love verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him saying, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. No kidding, right? (laughs) You insult us. He doesn't stop, though. Verse 46. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are the witness, and and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them. And you build their tombs. And then skip down to 52. He continues, woe to you, lawyers. This is harsh. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. That is the knowledge to get to God. You've taken it away. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. (laughs) It would be by no means inaccurate to say that a large part of our Lord's ministry, a large part of Jesus' ministry was for the exposure of the Pharisees' damning religious system. Every time he got a chance to to expose their corruption, he took the opportunity. And this, of course, all makes sense, right? He had to do this. There's nothing more dangerous than false religions. Please hear me out on this. There's nothing more dangerous. There's nothing more dangerous than a group of individuals that claim themselves to be the messengers of God, but really they're nothing more than the messengers of Satan. There's nothing more dangerous than a group of individuals who put themselves forth 
as having the keys to heaven, right? All religions. We have the keys to heaven, but really they just have the keys to hell. There's nothing more dangerous in this world than false religion, and Jesus knew that. And thus he spoke his most harsh words to its leaders. He says, woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you Sadducees. Woe to you scribes. Woe to you lawyers. In other words, judgment is coming upon you. It's a hostile setting as we enter into Luke chapter 12. When Luke says in in verse 1, if you're looking at it again, in the meantime, in the meantime, he, he said, he's saying while this heated discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees was taking place, so many thousands of people gathered together. And so entering into chapter 12 is sort of like a battle scene to some degree. Jesus has established what his ministry is about, and it's in complete contrast to that of the Pharisees. The lines have been drawn, folks. The, the teams have been determined. There's team Jesus, and there is team Pharisees. And most of the crowds here, believe it or not, this is the sad part, most of the crowds are on the religious leader's side, unfortunately. Most of the people here, the thousands, the myriads, Luke says, they have fallen prey to the hypocritical religious system of their current leaders. Most of the people had fell victim to the self-righteous establishment of the Pharisees. But thankfully, not all. Thankfully, not all. There are a few. There are a few present here in Luke 12 who are following Jesus. There are a few who had answered the call of Christ, who had not given their allegiance to the Pharisees, those whom Christ would call his own. And actually, if you're looking at verse 1, at the end, Luke says he began to say to his disciples or his followers, and then if you look down at verse 4, he says, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you my friends, he calls them his friends, and then Luke identifies them as his disciples. There are a few present who are following Jesus in this crowd, a few. And so in the midst of this crowd of Pharisees, for the most part, there are a small group that are Christians, and it is to this group that Jesus speaks, to this group. And he says first, into verse 1, look at it. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. This is really at the heart of what Jesus wants to communicate. Beware of this. Beware of these guys that I just ex- expressed judgment on in the last chapter. Beware of these guys. His, his words here are so very bold, considering the situation. I, I had to think about this for a second. The religious leaders who, who want to take his life, and, and actually, if you don't think they want to take his life, actually, look at verse 53. <laughs> After he gets done calling judgment out on them, he says, And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him, to to speak about many things, lying in wait, like like a pack of lions, if you will, for him to catch him in something he might say. (laughs) And then coming into chapter 12, verse 1, he says, beware of these guys. So very bold. So very bold. This massive crowd, most of whom are, hit, are, are, are followers of the Pharisees, most of whom are not on his side, and he speaks to his, his few disciples in this midst, and he says, beware of the leaven of these guys. You can, al- al- you can almost imagine 
right? It's like if you were there, like, again, a bunch of people, few disciples and the Pharisees, their leader standing right here, and he's pointing at them. He says, beware of these guys. Beware of these guys. Beware of the corrupt influence of the Pharisees. Beware of their hypocritical lives. Leaven was the substance, that word leaven there at the end of verse 1, was the substance that the Jews used to ferment their dough, uh, which basically caused it to ex- caused it to expand. It was that which caused their dough to rise. And the most prominent idea associated with leaven is its alteration of that which it came in contact with. When a piece of leavened dough was added to an unleavened piece of dough, it completely changed it quickly, secretly. Leaven was penetrating and diffusive. So was the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Leaven was a source that came from outside the dough and sort of quickly changed it and corrupted. So was the hypocritical influence of the Pharisees. Leaven was secret in its alterating operation. It was secret. So too was the influence of the Pharisees. All leaven needed to do was touch one unleavened particle of dough and it would completely change the rest of the dough. Sort of pandemic, if you will. This too was the case for the religious leaders' system. When Jesus speaks to his, his, his few followers here first, he basically tells them, watch out for the moral corruption of the Pharisees. Steer clear of their hypocrisy, which is quick-spreading and wide-spreading. Take heed to yourself not to let their deceptive, hypocritical lifestyles influence you. See what he's saying here? The Pharisees were a bunch of actors, were they not, guys? A bunch of phonies, which, of course, is what being a hypocrite is, right? They, they wore a mask around their followers in order to disguise their immoral lifestyles. They played the part as the representatives of God. They seemed to be, at least from their followers' perspective, the agents of heaven. But this was all a part of their religious veneer, so very thin. So very thin. They simply masqueraded as if they were the representatives of God, but they were really the representatives of Satan. Jesus actually told them that in John chapter 8, right? He said, they said, our father is Abraham. He said, no, it isn't. Your father's the devil. Your father's the devil. They put on this facade of religiosity and godly piety, but really they were rotten to the core, and their cores were rotten. And actually, if you look at what we just read in chapter 11, verse 39, look at verse 39 again. And the Lord said, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who make the outside make the inside also? You Pharisees are all about external conformity. But was not God the one who made the inside as well as what Jesus is saying there? Was it not God who formed you in totality, but yet you neglect to change your heart? You fools, he says at the beginning of verse 40. You fools. Jesus says to his followers, steer clear of these guys. Steer clear of their corruption. Avoid, he tells his disciples as he comes into chapter 12. Avoid at all costs following down their path. Again, the saddest part was that, for the most part, most people in that crowd, that was not the case. That was not the case. Most people on the scene here, again, at this this sort of mosh pit, if you will, 
most people had negatively been affected by the religious leaders. Actually, look at chapter 12, verse 54. Chapter 12, verse 54. Again, he's speaking to his disciples first, but this sermon extends all the way to chapter 13, verse 9. And then he finally turns his attention to the crowds, the unregenerate, and he says to them in verse 54, when you see a cloud rising in the the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. So it happens. And, And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. He says, you're pretty good meteorologists, right? You can see in the skies. You can look at the skies and you can see what type of weather is coming. But, but, but what could they not see? The Lord himself was in their midst. The Lord himself had been displaying for these people two years at this point. Miracle after miracle. If you don't believe in my words... Believe in the works I do, he said. They could see the weather coming, but they couldn't see the fact that he was God in the flesh. That's why he says in verse 56, you hypocrites. You you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? In in chapter 12, verse 1, who does he call the hypocrites? The religious leaders. He says, beware of these guys. But coming to the end of this sermon, he calls the crowds. He turns to the crowds and calls them hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. And that's because minus a few disciples, minus a few friends in this massive crowd, most had fallen prey to the corruption of the Pharisees. Most in this large crowd had bought into their lies But Jesus tells his disciples back in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Their corrupting influence is so sneaky. It's like leaven. So secret. You have to take heed to it. That's what beware means. Take heed to it. Be on on guard for it at all costs. At all costs. I mean, when you think about it, guys, just think of the situation. It would have been easy for the disciples to let This very thing that Jesus says don't let happen, happen, would it not? They're the minority here on this occasion. There there would have been a temptation to want to join forces with the Pharisees for the sake of leaving the minority group. There would have been the temptation to want to assimilate to their their religious system for the sake of fitting in. And, And really that same temptation looms in this day and age as well, does it not? Those who have given their allegiance to the cause of Christ are still the minority. Those who have resolved that Christ and Christ alone, what Pastor Brian has been laboring Sunday morning, we're still the lonely ones. Those who have deemed all other paths, all other religions as false and damning, we're still few in number. And so there exists, even in our day and age, just like in this setting here in Luke 12, the lure to want to fit in. The, the lure to want to take the road most traveled. You remember Joe's message, right? Last semester. Wide is the path. Wide. Wide. There exists in our day and age, again, the lure, the lure to want to take the path that has the fewest enemies. This is what the believers here in Luke 12 are facing. 
This is what they're facing. Thousands and thousands of people are surrounded around them. Thousands who have bought into the lies of the Pharisees, their hypocritical system. But Jesus tells them here, he says, be different. Jesus tells them here, steer clear of their influence. And he gives them, he not only tells them to do it, he gives them some very compelling reasons why to do so. And that's what I want to talk about as we close. He gives them two and really three, but we only have time to talk about two tonight. Two very compelling reasons as to why they should beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. As to why they should avoid at all costs false religion. And and guys, I want to tell you to lock in here now. If you're falling asleep, that's okay. I know it's probably easy to fall asleep when I'm talking. But but wake up now. Wake up now because I want you to hear these two reasons that Jesus gives as to why you should avoid false religion. The first comes in verse 2. He says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In other words, hypocritical religion, false religion won't be able to hide anything in the end. Can't hide anything. To reveal there in verse 2 means to, uh, to uncover something. It means to lay open what has been veiled or covered up. Jesus is saying here, all will be laid bare before the eyes of the Lord and nothing will be concealed from him. There is no deed, hear me out. There is no action that the Lord will not bring to light. He he will expose all things and, and disclose all things. There's nothing that someone can do that will go unnoticed. This should strike a great fear in those who are false. This should strike a great fear in those who are hypocrites. This should strike a great fear in all false religions. This should stop those in their tracks who are considering leaving the one true religion to join something false. All will be made bare. Those who act as the representatives of God but really are all a bunch of liars, they're going to be exposed. The Mormons, the Muslims, all of them. Those who suppress the truth of God and act as if he didn't exist, atheism, that's also religion, they will be exposed. Those who play church their whole lives, speaks to a lot of us in here, and yet are truly unregenerate, they will be found out. You see, hypocrisy is all about putting on this facade. It's all about putting on this mask as as you try to fool your onlookers. Jesus says here in verse 2, really a scary verse. It will all fail in the end. Everything that is covered will be revealed. Those who are religious actors, those who are religiously two-faced, I imagine there exists such people in this crowd here. Those who act as if they're on God's team, but they really aren't. Jesus says, you can't hide. You can't hide. Revelation chapter 20 records the great white throne judgment. I don't know if many of you are familiar with it, which is the judgment of unbelievers right before the new heaven and new earth is established. And during that judgment, there will be people, unbelievers, standing before the throne of God. And books, it says in Revelation 20, will be opened. Books will be opened as they stand there waiting to be judged. And maybe to some of their surprise, this is going to be interesting, 
those open books as they stand there are really going to open them up. It's going to open them up. Those open books that Revelation 20 talks about at that judgment record every thought and in every word and every deed on every individual who refused to bow to Christ. And their actions will be held against them. Nothing is not recorded in those books. That's bad English, double negative. Nothing is not recorded in those books. Nothing is not recorded. Nothing will be missed in those records. And actually, verse 12 of chapter 20, Revelation, it reads this. Listen to it. And the the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in it. And, And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Why? Because all they had done were in those books. Again, all is exposed. All of what is done is uncovered by the omniscient records of the omniscient God. Nothing's covered up. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. At the end of the great book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. I love this verse. Fear God and what? Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. But that's not the last verse of that great book. There's one more verse. Why would he say fear God and keep his commandments? Here's why. Here's why. Because for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Every deed will be exposed. At the end of this age, he will expose everything. Or to use the words of Jesus here in verse 2, he says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed Look at verse 3. Verse 3, he says, Therefore, what, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And this is really, really an interesting verse, interesting statement that ties into what Jesus is saying here. Again, the message is still, hey, guys, don't beware of these guys. Beware of hypocrisy because it's going to be exposed. This is still along the same lines. Most Jewish homes in Jesus' day were designed in such a way that they were flat-roofed. This is really interesting as I researched this. And these flat roofs were useful for many different reasons. They were used to give people vantage points of their hometowns. They were used to, as a place of retirement, people would often take naps on their roof. That's kind of nice, huh? (laughs) They would get a breath, breath of fresh air on their roofs and even pray on their roofs. And another advantage of these flat roofs especially for those who had houses right next to the marketplaces where life was just busy, was that they could, it could be a place for making public announcements. Public announcements. People often use their roofs for announcing things in the most public manner. If someone wanted to embarrass you, they went to the roof. And they shouted it out. They shouted it out. And so when Jesus says at the end of verse 3, what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed On the housetop, he's saying again, nothing, nothing is going to be hidden. All will be made public. It's the same message. Again, the things whispered in the most secret places, it's going to be exposed. 
again, this is, this is scary. This, is, this brought me, again, uh, to bow, really, in a metaphorical way. Because, again, nothing that I do will go unnoticed by the Lord. Nothing. Going back to the Pharisees, their hypocritical religion was going to be exposed. That's why you don't join forces with them. That's why you beware of them. That's why you stay away from false religion because in the end the truth is going is to come out. But not only will God expose false religion at the end of this age, he also will judge it. Not only will he expose it and lay it bare, but he will also judge it. And that's the second reason coming to verse 4. Look at it. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. It's like Jesus is pleading with his disciples. Yes, I tell you. Yes, I tell you, fear him. This seems to be the more compelling reasons of the two, in my opinion. <laughs> the first reason Jesus gives for steering clear of the Pharisees or being aware of the Pharisees is because they're going to be uncovered. They're going to be exposed. We, we've just covered that. It's going to be revealed. But here, Jesus goes a tad bit further, and he says that God will not only expose them, he's not only going to uncover them, but he's going to punish them. Into verse 5, he says... Uh, Fear the one who has the authority to cast into hell. He has the authority to destroy the soul. The disciples, like many in this day, probably feared the religious leaders to some degree. There's no question as to how much power and influence these men had in this day. They had a lot of it, a lot of it. They were the ones who convinced most of the crowds here, again, the myriads in Luke 12, to be on their side. They were the ones who convinced the people to scream for the blood of Christ in exchange for the murderous Barabbas. You remember that? They were the ones who eventually convinced the Romans, who convinced Pilate to kill Jesus, to get him crucified. And so fearing these men, as we come to these verses, at least from a human standpoint, had legitimate reasons. If they didn't like you, they could just get rid of you. If they didn't like you, There'll be some way, shape, or form. They would let you know. And understanding this all, of course, was our Lord. Jesus was well aware of their influence. He was well aware of their financial power. He's well aware of their political power. He was well aware of their social power. He was aware of it all. And so in light of all of the power that they had seemingly possessed, he reminded his disciples of one very important aspect in regards to their power. One very important aspect. He reminded them here in verse 4 that it was limited that it was limited. Yes, the Pharisees could do things to them to harm them. Emotionally, relationally, and even physically, right? That happened to him. They put him on the cross. But what the Pharisees could not do is harm them spiritually. The Pharisees could not alter their spiritual destiny. And with that in mind, Jesus tells his disciples at the beginning of verse four, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear them. Do not fear them. Because in the verse 4, because after they have killed you, after they kill the body, there's nothing more that they can do. Nothing more that they can do. We, we need to be reminded of this truth, right? Again, the, the few who are following Christ, 
there's going to be more and more persecution that comes here to the states. They only can do so much. They're limited in their power. After they kill us, nothing more they can do. And, and obviously, that's not an easy pill to swallow. But nonetheless, Jesus reminds his disciples of it here. Rem, 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 remind yourself of their limited power. Their limited power. Most people in the first century, ladies and gentlemen, they rejected Jesus because they were forced to. Now, now hear me out when I say this. I don't mean to convey the idea that they were somehow innocent of their unbelief. We know that that's not true. But what I'm saying is that there were many who would not profess Christ to be Lord because of the religious leaders. And the same goes today, right? Many refuse to, to, to pay homage to Christ. Many refuse to, to, to deem him Lord because they don't want to be looked down by their friends. They don't want to be persecuted. And Jesus says they're limited in their power. And that's why I think he adds verse 8 of this chapter. Look at verse 8 of chapter 12. He says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me, the one who refuses to call me Lord in front of people, will be denied before the angels of God. They're going to be denied too. If you fear God to such an extent that you confess Christ before men, Christ will acknowledge you. But if you fear men to such an extent that, that, that you deny Christ as you stand before them, listen to Christ's words there. He says, he's going to deny you too. Strong words. To put it plainly, Christ will sentence you to hell if you do not fear him over men. He will sentence you to hell if you do not fear him over men. Which sums up our concluding verse for tonight, verse 5. He says, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. The word translated hell here at the end of verse 5 is the Greek word Gehenna. It's a really, really interesting word as I, I looked into this. Some of your Bibles say, actually they have a superscript there, and then they take you down to the footnotes, and it, it, the transliteration of the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna, or literally the valley of Hinnom, was the valley south of Jerusalem where the idol-worshipping Jews of the Old Testament offered their children in sacrifice to the pagan god Moloch. Maybe some of you guys have read of this in the Old Testament. This is where they did it, in the Valley of Hinnom. Literally, they offered their children up to this pagan god by burning them to death, considering it to be appeasing to this false deity. It was really a wicked, wicked practice. And by the time Christ was walking the earth, this place had become the common storage for all the garbage of the city, for Jerusalem. Most Jews knew it was the place of a detestable and vile practice committed by their ancestors, and so they basically turned it into the town's dump. And, the dead, and, and, and there in, the, in that valley, there were dead bodies of animals and of criminals and all kinds of filth in this valley. They were cast there to this valley and consumed by fire. And listen to this, the fire there never stopped. Every time someone would come or look over to this valley of filth, always burning. It was always burning. And with the fire never being quenched there, it became to the Jews the image of the place of everlasting destruction. It was the place of filth and corruption in their mind, 
Again, our ancestors sacrificed their children to this false deity there. It's the place of filth and corruption. Now the, the fire never quenched there. And so again, they, they saw it as a symbol of the eternal home of those who did not love God. And Jesus says there is one, one who has the authority to cast a person into that place. Again, it was a symbol for hell. There's one person. And it was not the Sadducees, so it was good for his disciples to hear. It was not the Pharisees. It was not the religious sect being represented in that day, any religious sect. But rather, it was God alone. So Jesus says there at the end of verse 5, yes, I tell you. Again, he's pleading with them. Don't, don't turn to these guys. They're going to be judged in the end. They're going to be sent to the place of filth. The place where the fire is, is never quenched. I mean, Matt has hit on this a couple of times, uh, talking about hell this semester. But again, you can never elaborate on this enough. I, I don't think it's wrong. Again, you, you don't want to save people by, right, by fire assurance. You guys have often heard that. But that definitely needs to be an incentive. Jesus uses it here, does he not? <laughs> to his disciples, he says, fear the one who can send you to this valley uh, of filth, which was representative of hell. Hell will not be a fun place, ladies and gentlemen. Hell will not be a party. Newsflash to many of you, I know. It, it cannot. It is the place where God will, will for eternity unleash his vengeance. It's a horrid place. It's described as, as the lake of fire. It's going to be a bottomless pit. Be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It will be a, a furnace of fire, the scriptures describe it as. A, a place of torments. A, a place where people are welling forever, crying forever. A place where there is no rest. A place of outer darkness. A place for eternity. It's a place where the fire never dies or, or the worm or the maggot will not die. The fire, just like in that valley, the Jews would look over, never is quenched. It's never is quenched. It's not a place you want to be. This is a compelling reason to follow Christ, isn't it? Compelling, compelling reason, reason to, to not forsake our allegiance to him. Because one, he's going to expose you in the end. And then two, not only will he expose you, he'll judge you and punish you. Again, in the midst of this large crowd, he's trying to convince his disciples, don't follow these guys. Here's why. So ladies and gentlemen, in closing, I just think there's a lot of application for us here. We're constantly being tempted to go after different things, to leave Christ, right? Atheism, God's not there. Whatever you want to say, worship the God of sex or money, whatever, right? to go off, to veer from our allegiance to Christ. Jesus' words to us here will be, beware of those things. They're like leaven. They're secret. They come from without. They can, and, and once they get us, they'll, they'll change us completely. He says, beware of them. And, and, and then he gives the reasons. So I, I trust that this text was impactful for you tonight. These, these compelling reasons, these convincing Reasons when we're when we're pressed to turn to that which is false, these truths serve us as a reminder. Do they not? They do. Let's close in prayer.
Lord, thank you for your word. And uh, Father, you can just you could just give us commands and leave it at that. And because of you, you are God, and because you are Lord and Creator of all, that would suffice, Lord. But not only do you give us commands like you did to the disciples, you, you told them to beware, but you gave them reasons why they should steer clear of false religion, of hypocritical religion. The Pharisees were often that was dominant in their day. You gave them reasons in your in your grace graciousness, Lord. And Lord, we thank you so much for reminding us of, of why we should we should keep our allegiance to you, Lord, because you are the truth, Lord. You are the way. You are the life, Lord. And I'm so thankful, Lord, even as I think of the first reason Jesus gave his disciples there, that when we step into eternity, Lord, Father, we're going to have Christ right there, kind of. Father, he's going to be, once you, once you open up our records, it's going to really say, it's going to say Jesus. Jesus, and you are going to be pleased because he appeased your wrath, and I'm so thankful for that. And, and I'm so thankful that he has saved us from the eternal wrath that you, will, that you will deal out at the end of this age. Thank you so very much. Remind us of these two truths, Lord, when we're tempted to veer off. Remind us of these very things. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.